Sports Podcast. This week, we are joined by small group director, Sherry Benke, as we continue our series, Oh Brother. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Good morning. How are you guys doing? As John said, my name is Sherry Banky, and this is for the ladies out there. Um, I'm just going to own it for today. Today is what we would call a bad hair day. For those of you who are confused by the weather out there, it may not be for everybody, but the ladies in the room know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about. Okay, how many of you grew up with siblings? Maybe two siblings in your household, three siblings? Anybody have three siblings? Four siblings? Four siblings, five siblings? Those are big families. That is a large family if you grew up with that many siblings. I have three kids of my own. Two of them are boys and they're very close in age. And when they were a little bit younger, whenever I would put them to bed, they slept in a bunk. I would give them, uh, uh, each one of them, a big hug good night. And then I would whisper in their ear, you're my favorite. (laughs) And I did that to both of them. However, there was one evening where I had tucked my older son, Lewis, into bed, and I had given him a hug and told him he was my favorite. And then I was tucking Charlie in to bed, and I gave him a hug, and I whispered to him, you're my favorite. And Lewis, my older son, goes, hey, you just said I was the favorite. Okay, this is not parenting advice. This is just what I did, okay? (laughs) But I think regardless of how many siblings we have, we all want to know who's the favorite. So if you grew up with siblings and you were the favorite, just raise your hand. Yeah, you know it. You know, we're not supposed to have favorites, but you know you're the favorite. Who's the middle child? Middle child always gets a short stick. We know the middle child is never the favorite, right? If you're an only child, we know you are the favorite. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Well, today we're continuing our series, Oh Brother, and we're talking about James. James, the little brother of Jesus. And can you imagine growing up with Jesus being your big half-brother? I mean, how many times did he hear, why can't you be more like your brother, James? You know, how many times did James hear that? And and then all serious, and though Jesus may have casted a shadow within his family, James, the little brother of Jesus, went on to do big things. He is known to be one of the founders of the church in Jerusalem, and he is a pillar of our faith. And as we read through the book of James and we kind of mine some of the wisdom that we find there, you'll find that James is a straight shooter. He doesn't mince words. Um, He is a say what you mean and mean what you say kind of guy. And I can respect that. There are some one-liners in the book of James that you may be familiar with, such as let your yes be yes and let your no be no. He also said, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And so as we read through this second chapter today, I think you'll catch on to this direct nature of James. James, a five-chapter book, which is really a letter to some of the early Christ followers. They had been scattered throughout the city of Jerusalem due to persecution. And and James was writing this letter because he wanted to encourage his followers of Jesus. And he wanted them to grow and mature and be complete in their faith. And he wanted them to flourish in their faith. And so he wrote this letter as a way to uh, encourage them, but also to warn them of pitfalls. He wanted to warn them of pitfalls that would prevent them from flourishing in their faith. And these five weeks in this series of, oh brother, we're tackling some of those pitfalls. And last week we talked about the pitfall of temptation. And in a couple weeks we'll talk about the power of our words and we'll talk about the pitfall of pride. But today, today I want to talk about 
I want to talk about, um, and I forgot what I was going to talk about, favoritism. <laughs> We're going to talk about favoritism. And right out of the get-go, whenever we look at the first um, verse in the book of James, it says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And there is that crystal clear way of James talking. You must not show favoritism. Being a Christ follower and showing favoritism does not mix. And this word favoritism in the original language is actually a compound word. It's two words. The first word meaning to receive. And that second word meaning to face. To actually receive someone's face. To receive someone as face value. We need to receive people just as they are. We need not receive people and give certain people attention based on maybe how they appear or approach certain people because some people can offer us things, but other people can't offer us anything. We don't want to consider other people more valuable than others. But we go on to read in this passage of James, and it says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you must stand there or sit there on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And there's those clear words from James saying, hey, this favoritism thing, it's a big deal. And I think it's hard for us to put ourselves into this story because I don't think any of us would ever ask somebody to sit at our feet. I don't think we would do that. However, what James is saying is whenever you show preferential treatment to people and not others, it's like asking somebody to sit at your feet. This favoritism thing, it's a big deal. We may not think it's a big deal, but it is a big deal. And in the eyes of God, when we favor somebody, when we give value to one person and not the other, it's as if we're asking that other person to sit at our feet. And I think if we're really honest, we all do this to some degree or another. Nobody is immune to this kind of unbiased discrimination. To demonstrate this, I want to show you a video. It's, it's a, a photographer's, and they did an experiment. They had six photographers, and they wanted to take a picture of this guy, and they shared a little bit of information about the guy, and then they asked these photographers to kind of capture the essence of this man. Check this out. Let's see what happens. You're about to meet Michael. He lives fast as a self-made millionaire. You didn't have to dress up. It's all right. You're going to photograph Michael. He's actually saved somebody's life. Michael is an ex-inmate. He's a commercial fisherman. Michael claims to be psychic. Nice to meet you. Michael's a former alcoholic. Here's your camera. I would like you to flesh out the essence of who he is. My plan was to find out about whoever it was and to try and get that. And what I learned from him is he's incredibly brave. I wanted to see the nature of the person, which then present a challenge. How do you portray him as a fisherman? That's perfect. He's a self-made millionaire and sort of a little bit intimidating. I wasn't going for a beautiful, nice, perfectly lit portrait. I just want to try bring out something of who you are. I think that you just treat people like the everyday people, like everybody is. Pleasure. 
Almost looks like six different people. So not everything I told you today was true. I'm not a fisherman. I am not an alcoholic. I've never been a millionaire. Never been in prison. I am a Bondi lifesaver, but the story we talked about never did happen. Not psychic. Can barely spell it. Before I knew there were different characters in each of these, I thought, that's really strange. These don't look like portraits of the character I thought you were. Interesting, isn't it? Our life experience really um, affects the way we see people, and we need to be aware of that. I don't think any of us get up in the morning and head out and, and consciously choose to favor one person over another and to judge one person over another. But listen, the sad news is our heritage of sin makes us vulnerable and prone to doing this, to unconsciously have biases towards people. And this is important for us to really understand. It's important to understand that our life experiences really cause us to filter people and we begin to pick people and preference people over one another. And and here's the thing, it influences how we see them. This influences how we receive them and it influences how we treat them. And so we need to be really aware of these unconscious biases that we have. I'm gonna be honest, I um, at times do make quick judgments about people. I make quick judgments about people from Ohio. I do. Um, Whenever I meet somebody from Ohio, I immediately think they're probably a crazy Ohio State fan. They probably have a dog named Brutus, and they love Skyline Chili. Right? So you know some of these. That's why you're laughing. You know some of these people, right? And not everybody from Ohio is a huge Ohio State fan or has a dog named Brutus, even though everybody that I know from Ohio does. Right? <laughs> we can quickly make these snap judgments. See, and in James's culture, that's what was happening. People were judging and treating people with wealth differently than they were treating the poor. That's what was going on. They were treating people differently. And, and James was saying to these new Christ followers, hey, we're not gonna do that. We are Christ followers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to be different than the world and we are not, we are not going to show favoritism. And I don't think things in our culture are really much different than they were back in James's culture. I mean, we may be a little bit more savvy about how we classify people here in America, but we still show favoritism. It just comes out differently. For example, beauty is everything in our culture. Appearances are everything. And we are so prone to making quick judgments about people by the clothes that they wear, whether they're name brand clothing, how big or small people are. And if we're not careful, we can make judgments about if people are smart, if people are happy. We can even make quick judgments and decide if somebody is safe to be around simply by their appearance. In a blink, we can make decisions based on race and skin color. This is something we really need to pause and be aware of. We are vulnerable to this. And I think a real quick assessment that we can all take 
is we can just look at our closest friends. Who have we surrounded ourselves with? Are the people that are closest to us, do they look just like us? Do they think just like us? Do they vote just like us? We need to be sensitive to this. Age, age is another thing that we favor. Some people are too old, some people are too young, but time and time again, people apply for jobs and they are discriminated against based on their age, not their ability. We also have biases on perceived success. We can make quick judgments about people, about the subdivisions that they live in, the schools that they've attended, the vacations that they go on. And we can be drawn to people who appear to have wealth, but we can also resent them for people who have wealth as well. And all of us are prone to these judgments, whether they're intentional or unintentional. We can treat people differently based on these unbiases that we have. And so let's continue in the book of James. In this second chapter, and what does he have to say? He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is that you would love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and that you would love others as yourself. And that's what James is saying here. He's drawing a sharp contrast between favoritism and loving your neighbor. He's saying we can't love God and and put other people on different levels. He's like, no, you love God. You love everybody as your neighbor. That's what you do. You don't add value and stack people up and down. And I think we can be tempted to think, oh, this is favoritism and it's really not that big of a deal. But listen to James. He's putting murder and adultery in the same sentence as favoritism. This is serious, serious business. He's saying being a Christ follower and showing favoritism, it doesn't mix. It doesn't mix. But let's continue to read what James says in this same passage. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged. By the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I love that. I'm just going to repeat that. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I think it's clear to us that as we read these first passages in this second chapter of James, that favoritism is it's not a good thing. It's serious business. But what strikes me as I read this next portion of these verses is that how I treat, treat people is connected to my own freedom. It's connected to your own freedom. How you treat people is connected. See, it doesn't just take something away from the people that we treat with favoritism. It takes something away from us when we begin to do that too. How many relationships have you passed over Because you've made decisions in the blink of an eye based on appearance. How many beautiful experiences may we be missing out on because a relationship never got off the ground because we've made some blink decision about somebody? How stunted is our growth as Christ followers because we don't want to move beyond familiarity? 
favoritism is a sin and it is a costly sin. It doesn't just cost the person that we show favoritism against, but it costs us too. It costs me. It binds me to the constructs of our social environment. And and it puts me in this prison of only being familiar and it robs me of experiencing the beautiful, diverse creation of God. It puts us in this prison of just being familiar. Okay, I want to pause for a second because I have a concern. My concern is that uh, I'm challenging you to not do something. And I think that's a good challenge to not. I think if you've been paying attention at all during this service, you've realized that favoritism is not good. Don't show favoritism, right? But I don't want to just challenge us to not do something. I want to challenge us to do something. That's the other part of this challenge. I want to challenge us to show favor, to show favor to everyone, Rather than working so hard to not show favor, which is good, what if we ask God to help us? Help us be just and impartial to every single person that we see, that we would show favor on everyone that we come across. And the first step into doing this is is to acknowledge that everyone, every single one of us, everyone in this room, everyone that we come across has the very image of God in them. Every single person, no matter their age, their skin color, their gender, economic status, sexual orientation, politics, religion. It doesn't matter. Every single person that we come in contact with bears the image of God. And when we recognize that value and acknowledge it, we receive them. And the easiest way to do this is just look somebody in the eye and just smile. Acknowledge that you are witnessing a unique glimpse of God in every human being. We can acknowledge that. We can add dignity to the fact that every single person that we come in contact with bears the image of God and that that's what we would see first. Then once we acknowledge this value in each person, we can then begin to appreciate their uniqueness, their uniqueness that they bring. And here's the thing, you don't have to understand it You don't even have to agree to to appreciate people's differences. You can appreciate the fact that the whole world isn't just like me because you wouldn't want the whole world to be just like me. If it was just like me, first of all, we could have no fun unless we scheduled it. No fun. No fun happening here unless it's scheduled. You'd also have to train to run the Chicago Marathon every every fall. Anybody? You guys ready to do this? (laughs) Okay, I got one follower. See, appreciating, recognizing the unique gifts, talents, and qualities of every person in this world. God created this world. He created humankind to live in perfect harmony with him. But our our heritage of sin, we've lived a different dream since the beginning of time. And and it's led us to to kind of drift towards being fearful It's led us to feel threatened by anything that is different. And he wants us to live in harmony with each other. See, it's so easy to focus on our differences. It's easy to focus on different beliefs or different behaviors, different appearances, different education, different mental abilities, physical abilities. There's so much to focus on that divides us because of our differences. Yet when we acknowledge, when we acknowledge that every single one of us was created in the image of God. 
And despite our differences, despite being different in all these different categories, whether we're big or small or old or young or Republican or Democrat, we all reflect the image of God. Every single one of us reflect the image of God and we can begin to appreciate this creative God that we have. I think this is hard stuff for us. It's so subtle. We have subtle, unconscious biases. And I think it can be really difficult for us to be aware of how we show favoritism. But the good news is, is we have a great model who showed us how to live this out. We have the model of Jesus where he never showed favoritism, but he showed favor and he showed favor over and over and over again to the people that he came in contact with. Whenever there was a woman who was drug out into public and people wanted to stone her because of her uh, behavior, he said, no, he that has not sinned can cast the first stone. Whenever the children were coming to him and the disciples were trying to shoo the kids away because they didn't value children at the time, he was like, no, no, let the children come to me. It's the kingdom that belongs to such as these. And whenever he got accused for having, eating dinner with tax collectors and sinners, he was like, you know what? I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those who said and know that they are sinners. Jesus didn't show favoritism. He showed favor over and over and over again. And Jesus shows favor to you. Jesus shows favor to me. Jesus shows favor to everyone, everyone who bears the image of God. And so whenever I see someone who may have a physical disability and I may be quick to think something's wrong with them or maybe they're limited, what I really need to see and acknowledge is that they are an image bearer of God. They are giving me a glimpse of who God is. And, And because of that, I also am a glimpse of God. And I know I have hopes and dreams and that person also has hopes and dreams, but because they may have a physical limit, limitation, it may be 10 times harder for them to achieve it. And then I can appreciate them being uh, resilient. I can appreciate the grace that they extend in times when they're shown discrimination. I can actually just look at their brilliance of how God has created us so differently. So let me ask you, Who in your world, who do you pass by? Who do you walk by who often gets overlooked? Who are the ones that are rarely shown favor? Who are the people that we see who rarely, if ever, get acknowledged? What would it look like If our community, if everyone in this room left today and was intentional about acknowledging and appreciating every single person that they came in contact with today, what would that look like? How would that change this community if every single one of us left this building intentionally looking to acknowledge people as the image bearers of God and appreciating the diversity? How would that change this community? As I mentioned earlier, God's dream for this world is that we would all live in harmony and he wants us all to be a part of that. He wants all of us to bring about this dream 
of all of us living in harmony together, no matter our race and no matter our ethnicity, our economic status, rather that we would love one another because we are all created in the image of God. God's dream for his church, his dream for you and for me is that we would restore that dream. That's his dream for us. And just before Jesus left this earth, he said, you would receive my power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit came up on that crowd and there were people from all over the places, different ethnicities speaking different languages and they were all praising God. It was a mighty sight to be seeing this whole diverse crowd. And you know what the key was? The key was that everyone there was actually filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what we need to get. When everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit, there is no favoritism. There is all kinds of favor for everyone when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. And I believe this world is desperate. It is desperate for that kind of favor. It is desperate for anyone and everyone to experience this favor. I want to return to this verse from James. And it says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. May we be a community that does right, that we would be people filled with the Holy Spirit of God and we can extend that favor to every single person that we come in contact with. In the gospel, according to John, this is what Jesus says. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, my prayer for this community is that everyone would know that we are followers of Jesus and they would know that by how we love Father God, I pray for every single person in this room that they would experience your love in an undeniable way, that your Holy Spirit would pour upon them and that they would be empowered, that they would be empowered to see people as you see them, as glimpses of you. Father, thank you so much for your son. He knew this was gonna be hard. That's why he came down here. He showed us how to do this. He showed us the way. And knowing that we would stumble, he extended grace and forgiveness to us by dying on a cross. But then he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to empower us. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will be ever present in each and one of us. And as we leave this building, we could acknowledge and appreciate your creative design in every single person that we come across, that we wouldn't see a tattoo, we wouldn't see a piercing, we wouldn't see clothes, we wouldn't see disability, but we would see a glimpse of you in every person that we see. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. It's in his holy name that I pray. Amen.